My simple question for you this morning is just this. Are you growing? Are we growing in love? Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Morning, church. Uh, Open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And as you are turning there, let me tell you a dad story, if that's okay. But before I do, I want to make a deal with you. You guys have to promise not to judge me. Can you do that? Uh, We're people of grace. I will only tell you the story if you make a deal, okay? Does that sound all right? Okay, well, most of you know, my wife, Rebecca, and I, we have three little boys. We love living in boy world. And my oldest, Judah, uh, he is four years old. He is uh, articulate and responsible. He's kind of your typical oldest kid. And then our middle son, Calvin, he's two, and he's kind of your typical gorilla, if you know what I mean. Like the dude is just off the walls. We call him Cal. And uh, I'm telling you, I love this kid, but pray for us because we're about to be on a first name basis at the ER by this point, okay? And so it was a few months ago and Cal was playing or something and he, he popped a wheelie and he whiffed on the landing, busted his head open. So we go to the ER, you know, but instead of like stitching it or stapling it, Cal's got long hair. And so they just tied his hair in a knot to pull the cut together. And then they stuck some super glue on it and charged me a thousand dollars, right? Anybody been there before? I'm not making this up. I'm dead serious. That's what happened. And, and, and so I'm like, okay, whatever. But, 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 but the doctor said, hey, all you got to do is keep his head dry for 24 hours. Just 24 hours, let the glue dry. Can you do that? I'm thinking 24 hours, I got this, no problem. So we go home and the next day our hot water heater goes out. Not a big deal, but I was busy, didn't have time to work on it. So that evening, we came over here to the church building to just take showers in the locker rooms over there in the gym. And so we're walking backstage to the locker rooms when my oldest son, Judah, says, hey, dad, can I go splash my hands in the baptistry? Now, remember, you promised not to judge me. (laughs) Remember? Okay. So I said, sure, buddy, no problem. He, he, I mean, he's a responsible kid. He's done it before. No big deal, right? So he walks over there to go splash his hands in the baptistry. And like a great dad, I did not go with him. Now, I was out of eyesight, but I was within earshot. And just a few seconds later, you guessed it, I heard this great big splash. And you know, so I go running over there and Cal, our middle son, has gone headlong into the baptistry. We made it 22 hours, guys. <laughs> We were this close. But the worst part of all was the baptism didn't even take. Like he's still an unregenerate sinner. It didn't even work. (laughs) And I tell you that story to say this. I am concerned that I see an awful lot of people like my son Cal. A lot of people who've gone down into that water, but honestly, hasn't made much of a difference in their lives. Now, listen to me. There's nothing magical about the water in that baptistry. It's just tap water like any other water. But the Bible does say that when we put our faith in Jesus, when you surrender to him, you turn away from your old life and you decide to trust Jesus and you are baptized into him, that something deeply spiritual happens to us, that we are buried with him, that we are literally made new with him. We are united with him. Now, for the last few weeks in this series, we've talked about this thing called union with Christ, which is what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. It means that Jesus is in you and you are in him. We've 
use the analogy of like a dollar bill in a book, right? That from then on, what is true of the book becomes true of the dollar bill. That like where the book goes, the dollar goes. And the same thing's true for us. That when you are in Christ and he is in you, what is true of him becomes true of you. And if that's what happens, then that should like radically and fundamentally change the way we live, shouldn't it? And that we should be constantly growing to become more like him and doing the things that he does. Now, Paul talks about this here in Ephesians chapter four. Then verse 11, Paul says this about how we're supposed to grow. Tell you what, I'll read the words in white, you read the words in yellow. Here we go. And Paul says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, Paul says, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I guess my simple question for you this morning is just this, are you growing like, are, are you growing? Am I growing? Are we, as Plainfield Christian Church, are we growing? And specifically, I think Paul wants to ask us, are we growing in love? And because when, when we think about a church growing, you know, it, it's easy to measure numbers and, and things like that. And, and those things are good, but you know, the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so when Jesus wonders if Plainfield Christian Church is growing, my guess is that he cares a lot less about things like budgets and attendance numbers and a lot more about things like love and joy, and peace and patience. Are you more kind than you were last year? Are you more good? Are you more faithful and gentle and self-controlled than you were five years ago? Are you growing in love? You know, we've been in this series through this letter called Ephesians in the Bible that was written by a guy named Paul to an ancient church. And we're calling this series Sit, Walk, Stand because we started by talking about how the Christian life always starts with sitting. It just starts with resting in what Jesus has done for you, sitting under God's grace, sitting under God's power, remembering that if you've placed your trust in Jesus, you are in him, he is in you. And then from that reality, we can move out and we can walk the walk of faith. And so we talked about walking together and walking in light. But today we're talking about walking in love because Jesus says that love should be our defining characteristic as his followers. Jesus says this in John 13, 35. He says, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. We should be known for our love, right? But my guess is, when the world looks at the church, most of the time they're probably not saying, wow, what amazing love they have. <laughs> More often than not, I think we're probably known for things like our, our opinions and our programs and our building and, and lots of churches are known for lots of things. But when Hendricks County thinks of Plainfield Christian Church, Jesus wants them to think of love. So let me just ask again, are, are, are we growing? Are you growing in love? And if you're here this morning and you're new with us or you're not a follower of Jesus, then you may be thinking, yeah, you guys botched this one. 
Like, yeah, because a lot of you are in here and you've experienced deep hurt this morning from somebody who claimed to be a follower of Jesus and acted in a way that was anything but loving. So I got to remind you what the church is because, listen, we come here and we gather together, not as people who are perfect, but as people who have failed. Like we have failed at love and we recognize this. So we're here together today trying to learn how Jesus has loved us and we need his help to do it. And I hope that you'll join us here on that journey because as we're talking about growing in love, Paul points out two keys for us for how to grow in love. The first one is this. Growing in love happens together. Growing in love happens together because love by its very definition exists in community, right? That's why like in the New Testament, in your Bibles, we see over 100 one another commands. The Bible just kind of assumes that we're gonna be doing life together as God's people. So it says, hey, love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, accept one another. The Bible just assumes that we're gonna be growing in love together. And so if you're doing life and if you're doing faith on your own, it's gonna be really hard for you to grow in love because the church is the school of love that God gave us. And that's because it's really easy to love Jesus, isn't it? Like there's nothing in Jesus that is unlovable. It's a lot harder to love the church because the church is full of messy, difficult people and there are things in every single one of us that are unlovable. In fact, maybe maybe you've even wondered before, like God, why did you give me these difficult, like why is this difficult person in my life? Well, because that's the only kind of people there are, right? (laughs) Like if Jesus took out all the people with messes and ugliness and failures, it'd get awfully lonely around here. Just be me. (laughs) Just kidding. (sighs) God gives us messy people so that we can learn how to grow in love. And we see this all throughout the Bible. Abraham had Lot and Jacob had Laban and Moses had Pharaoh and Elijah had Jezebel and David had Saul and Esther had Haman and John the Baptist had King Herod and even Jesus himself had Judas So because God loves you, because God wants to help you learn to love like he loves, he's gonna give you difficult people to help you practice. I've heard it said before that we all have EGR people in our lives, extra grace required. (laughs) We've got those people, you can think of them. And the tricky thing about it is that we are each also somebody else's EGR person. (laughs) Like if the stats are true, like for some of you in here today, your EGR person is me. And I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know it, but that's true. Don't tell me, but I, I, I know that it's true. And, and so God has given us the church full of extra grace required kind of people so that we can learn how to love because growing in love happens together. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Growing in love happens in Christ. Like we've been saying all along in this series, we never start with walking. You're never going to grow in love by just waking up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm going to try hard to be more loving today. We always start with sitting. By resting in the reality that if you follow Jesus, he is in you, you are in him. And every morning you get out of bed and you step into that new identity and we allow him to live out his love through us. And so we take off the old and we put on the new. Um, Some of you will remember a few years ago the craze that kind of swept the world of Marie Kondo and her life-changing magic of tidying up. Does anybody remember this? Am I the only one? Okay, yeah, there's like the book, the TV show, the whole nine yards, right? And the subtitle of the book was The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing. Now listen, in my mind, 
The words decluttering and organizing and life-changing magic like don't belong in the same sentence together, okay? But I want to give Ms. Kondo a fair shot, and so I was curious about what this life-changing magic she was talking about was. So according to Ms. Kondo, if you want to have the life-changing magic of tidying and cleaning up, what you got to do is you take everything out of your closet and you dump it in one big pile. And you pick out the things that you really love and really want to keep, and you throw everything else away. Seems kind of simple, right? But she says the key to this process is to pick up each individual item of clothing and to ask it, do you spark joy? (laughs) (laughs) And if the answer is yes, you keep it. If the answer is no, you throw it away. Now listen, that may work for some people, but I'm telling you that if I did this, Like if I took every article of clothing out of my closet and I held it up and I asked it, do you spark joy? The only things I would have left are ratty old sweatpants and V-neck t-shirts. Anybody else? And I'm telling you, that would bring me a lot of joy to be wearing sweats and V-necks around all the time, but it would cause everybody else a whole lot of pain. I would inflict a lot of public harm if you only saw me like that, right? But Paul's saying the same thing is true in our spiritual lives here. We got to clean out our closets. And it's time to get rid of the old and put on the new. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So just like Ms. Kondo, like we're, we're, we're called to pull out every single thing out of our closet, every action, every desire, every thought, and we're supposed to hold it up and we're supposed to say, okay, are you like Jesus? Is this something that Jesus would do, him and me and me and him? And if the answer is yes, then, then, then you put it on, you keep it. And if the answer is no, then no matter how comfortable or how familiar it is, you throw it away. And so I want to look at four things for the rest of our time together that Paul says, if we want to grow in love, we have to put off these old things and put on these new things. And I want to just acknowledge again that these are not things that any one of us have done perfectly. These are things we've all failed at. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will stick one of these things to your heart because these are things that Jesus has done perfectly and that he can do in and through you. Four things, ready? Here we go. The first thing is this. Take off hurtful words and put on helpful words. Last week, we talked about how God speaks in three primary ways. He speaks through his word, he speaks through his spirit, and he speaks through his people. So that means that if you are in Christ, then every time you are talking with another brother or sister in Christ, God is actually wanting to talk through you. And that should change how we pick our words. Like we shouldn't be saying things that God would not say to that person. Ephesians 4.25, Paul says this. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. That means that if you're living in deception, if you're telling even little white lies, if you have a, a tendency to tell stories that you exaggerate a little bit to make yourself look better, Paul's saying, knock it off. Ephesians 4.31, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Ephesians 5, Paul says, nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So Paul's saying, hey, take off any words that are leading people away from Jesus. Take off any words that are hurting people intentionally. Take off any words that are glorifying and delighting in the sins that Jesus died for. Take off hurtful words and put on helpful words. Verse 29, Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful 
for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I love the ESV of that last part. Paul says that it may give grace to those who hear. Take every word out of your closet, hold it up and say, okay, do you give grace to those who hear? If no, don't say it. And if yes, go ahead. And sometimes Paul says that means here, like in verse 15, that means speaking the truth in love. Because sometimes the way to give grace to somebody is to speak a hard truth to them. Uh, Author Gordon MacDonald tells a story of a time that he was in Japan with a close friend. MacDonald writes this. He says, he was a number of years older than I was. As we walked down the street in Yokohama, Japan, the name of a common friend came up in conversation. And I said something unkind about that person. It was sarcastic, it was cynical, it was a put down. And my older friend stopped, turned, and faced me. And with deep, slow words, he said, Gordon, a man who says he loves God would not say a thing like that about a friend. And Gordon McDonald says, man, he could have put a knife into my ribs and the pain would not have been any less. But you know something, McDonald writes? There have been 10,000 times in the last 20 years that I have been saved from making a jerk of myself. When I've been tempted to say something unkind about a brother or sister, I hear my friend's voice say, Gordon, a man who says he loves God would not speak in such a way about a friend. So put off hurtful words, put on helpful words, words that give grace to those who hear, speaking the truth in love. That's how we're gonna grow up in love. Here's the second key Paul says to growing up in love. He says, take off impurity and put on integrity. Now Paul says this in chapter four, verse 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been caught stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, Paul's argument here is really complex, so try to follow it, okay? Paul says, he says, if somebody is stealing, they must steal no longer. Now, back in the original Greek, that means stop stealing. (laughs) Like, it's that simple. Like, we're called to be people of integrity because Jesus lives in us, so that means, hey, listen, like tax time, right? If you're tempted to fudge on some numbers, don't. And if you're being lazy at work and you're earning a paycheck you don't deserve and you're kind of going around behind your boss's back, knock it off, Paul says. If Jesus is in you and you're in him, we're called to be people of integrity. He says this in Ephesians 5, 3. He says, but among you, there must be not even a hint. That means not a whiff, not a second glance, not a lingering look, not an entertained fantasy, not even a little bit, not even a hint, Paul says, of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now listen, we're humans, right? And we're weak. And so when it comes to anger or dishonesty or lust or greed, sometimes you're gonna have thoughts come into your mind. You're gonna have these evil desires that you don't want boil up within you. And so the question is, when they do, what are you gonna do with it? Now, the the reformer Martin Luther said, I cannot prevent a bird from flying over my head, but I can stop him from building a nest in my hair. So what will you do? Will you choose impurity or integrity? Are you gonna wear those old clothes or are you gonna take them off and you're gonna put on the spotless white robes that Jesus purchased for you by his blood when you were made new in him? Take off hurtful words, put on helpful words. Take off impurity, put on integrity. Here's the third way to grow in love. Paul says, take off selfishness and put on service. 
Here in chapter four, Paul talks about how each of us have been given spiritual gifts. Every single one of you today has a spiritual gift. And the only way that this church is gonna grow into maturity is if every single one of us in here is using our spiritual gifts for the good of the kingdom. That means that, that your time and your abilities and your relationships and your experiences and your money, those are gifts that have been given to you. And they are not trophies to brag with. Those gifts are not toys to play with. They are tools to build with. And Paul says here in verse four that my job, our job as the ministers of the church is to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Our job is not to do all the ministry. It's to help you do the ministry that God made for you to do everywhere you go. And that means that if we're not using our gifts for the good of God's kingdom, then your growth will be stunted and the growth of this church will be stunted. We've talked a lot lately about how we wanna be a church with a Bible in one hand and a basin in the other. We wanna hold tight to God's truth. But we also want to constantly be letting that truth express itself in practical love for the people around us. Jesus took a basin and a towel and he washed his disciples' feet in really messy, nitty-gritty service. And we're called to do the same thing, to love those around us in that way, to serve in that way. And when you live a basin and towel kind of life of service, let me just say, it's not glorious or glamorous. In fact, you want to see how unglamorous it is? Look what Paul says about service here in Ephesians 5.21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Service is messy because service looks like putting other people's needs above your own, even if they don't deserve it, because Jesus deserves it, Paul says. <laughs> A couple of weeks ago, our sons Judah and Cal, they were fighting, arguing about something. I don't remember what it was, just kind of like kids do. I don't know if they're fighting over a toy or something. I don't exactly remember, but each one of them wanted to have a turn. They wanted to be first. And so a great and righteous preacher dad came in like a, like a knight in shining armor, right? And I said, boys, boys, listen, Jesus said the last will be first and the first will be last. You know, Jesus would let his brother have the first turn. Which one of you boys wants to be like Jesus? They just kind of stared for a second, you know. Judah said, Cal does. <laughs> and we laugh, but we also get it, don't we? <laughs> like, it's hard. It's hard to put somebody else in front of yourself. It's hard to take off selfishness and put on service. And we don't have time to get into all the nitty-gritty details here today. But in the, in the rest of chapter 5, in the beginning of chapter 6, Paul talks about how this kind of basin and towel life of service is supposed to be lived out in the real relationships that if you're day in and day out. You're supposed to be having a basin and towel mindset in your marriage and in your relationship with your kids and your relationship with your parents and your relationship with your boss and your relationship with your employees. So listen, I hope that you're dying and deep. I hope you're using this book to read out loud the text of Ephesians this week. I hope you'll let those texts speak to you from chapter five and chapter six. Here is the fourth key and the final key to growing in love. Paul says, take off pride and put on humility. Uh, take off pride and put on humility. Uh, he says this in Ephesians 4, one and two. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So as we take off pride and we realize that we are in Christ, Paul's saying, hey, put on the gentleness of Jesus. Put on the patience of Jesus. Put on the humility of Jesus. And practically, here's two things that that means for your real life. Number one, assume the best. Assume the best about people. A life of humility assumes the best. Now, what is your default mode? What is your default assumption when somebody wrongs you? 
Now, there's this thing in psychology called the fundamental attribution error that talks about how our default mode when somebody wrongs us is generally not humility and grace and assuming the best about that other person. In fact, the fundamental attribution error says that most of the time when somebody else messes up, we attribute that to their character. But when we mess up, we attribute it not to our character, but to our circumstances. Now think about this. You're driving and somebody cuts you off. What's your, what's your gut reaction in that moment? For a lot of us, our brain goes right to assassinating their character, right? <laughs> like that guy is everything that's wrong with the world. What a horrible, selfish driver. He's probably on his phone. He has no idea. His personality type is just J-E-R-K, right? We assassinate their character. That is a bad person. But when we cut somebody off, we don't assume it's because of our character, do we? We attribute it to our circumstances. We say, well, yeah, I gotta go pick up my kid at school. I'm, I'm, I'm running late. I have a dentist appointment. Like, not that anybody would be hurrying to the dentist. I need a better example, don't I? But you, you, you understand, right? Like, we don't attribute it to our character. It's our circumstances. We tend to assume the best about ourselves and the worst about other people because, honestly, it's just easier that way. But if we really start with sitting, we gotta remember what God has done for us. And these texts we've read in Ephesians says that God, he's rich in love. He's full of mercy. He loves to show his kindness and his grace to us. There's one preacher who says that God has put a safety lock on his wrath, but a hair trigger on his kindness. Hair trigger kindness. We want to assume the best about other people. That's what a life of humility looks like. It means assuming the best, but it also means, here's the second thing, forgiving the worst. We assume the best about people and we forgive the worst in people because that's what God did for us. You remember our call to love like him, Paul says here in Ephesians 5. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are called to love and forgive others as God has loved and forgiven us. We've talked a lot about Dietrich Bonhoeffer in this series, the guy who was a Christian leader back in Nazi Germany in his little, wonderful little book called Life Together. And we talked about how Bonhoeffer says that true love starts with disillusionment. That when somebody breaks your expectations and hurts you, that's the moment you really get to decide if you're gonna have true love or not. So what do you do when somebody wrongs you? What do you do when somebody disillusions you? There's a doctor by the name of Richard Seltzer who tells the story of a beautiful young woman who is having to have an operation done to remove a tumor from her face. And tragically, during the course of the operation, the surgeon nicked and cut a nerve in her cheek. And that meant that for the rest of her life, this young woman's mouth was going to be per permanently twisted and, and crooked, hard for her to use anymore. And so the young woman wakes up from the surgery and her husband is there in the post-op room with her and she's horribly embarrassed when she realizes how she looks. How could her husband possibly find beauty in a face as twisted as hers? And she asks the doctor, will, will my mouth always be like this? He says, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, the nerve was severed. And I can only imagine her grief and her embarrassment there in that moment waiting in the silence. But then, then the young husband spoke up he said, I like it. I think it's kind of cute. And then in a moment so holy that all of heaven must have held its breath, he bent down and he contorted his own mouth and twisted his own lips to meet hers to show her that the kiss still worked. And that's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? 
that every single one of us, we failed at these things. We, we, we are selfish, we are impure, we are proud. And yet in our ugliest moment of deepest shame, God bent down and he twisted his mouth to meet ours. He became one of us to show us that his love still works and his forgiveness still remains and it will go this far to meet us in our ugliness. Amen. And our call is to love people like that and to forgive people like that. So the next time somebody hurts you, I want you to imagine what Jesus thinks of that person. I want you to imagine Jesus being whipped and beaten for that person. I want you to imagine the reality that if that person who annoys you was the only person on the face of the planet, Jesus would have still come and died just for them. This is our call. And in a world that cancels people for things they said 10 years ago, this message of Christian love and forgiveness is absolutely radical. And this is how the world will know because the reality that we understand as Christians is that God has forgiven in me more than I will ever have to forgive in anybody else. George Herbert says it like this. He says, he who cannot forgive another breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. So we grow in love by taking off pride, putting, off, putting on humility, assuming the best and forgiving the worst because Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And my friend, listen, Jesus has forgiven you. And it costs him a lot. But if you are in him, you are completely forgiven. We've all sinned, scripture says. We've betrayed him, we've rebelled against him, we have hurt him deeply, but Jesus didn't hold a grudge. Jesus didn't come bitter or resentful. He didn't hold on to the offense. No, he gave up the glory of heaven and he took on human flesh for you. And Jesus spent 33 years walking the dusty roads of this planet. He traded the praise of angels for the company of some smelly fishermen for you. And Jesus trudged late at night into the garden of Gethsemane and he got down on his knees and he sweat great drops of blood as he prayed, Father, if it is possible, please take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And he did it for you. And Jesus walked up Calvary's hill carrying that cross, the king of heaven wearing a crown of thorns for you. So you forgive one another just as God has forgiven you. And together, as we do, we will grow in love. Uh, our youngest son, Wesley, he's still a baby, and he can sit up, but he's starting to learn how to walk now. That's kind of fun. He's not very good at it, but we like watching. And, and he'll pull himself up, and, and he'll try to take a little baby step, and then he'll fall back down, but he always starts, he'll sit back up, and he'll start right there with sitting, and he'll stand up, and he'll try to take another step. And he's not perfect, but he's got brothers around him who love to show him the way. And he's got a mom and a dad who are rejoicing in his growth little by little. We don't knock him when he falls. And you have a father in heaven the same way. He's rejoicing at watching you learn to walk like he does. And we are not perfect and we do fall, we do fail. But together we will learn to walk in love like he does. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, you are so kind to us. And you have loved us with an indescribable love. You have given us so much grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness and power when we deserved the opposite, Lord. And yet you have showered us with your affection. And I pray here for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that just you would convict them maybe just of one thing this week and that you through them would show your love to the world 
and that as we, your people, learn to model the love that you have given us, they would see you in us. This is our prayer and our desire. Help us. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love and our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week. Thank you.